You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestral helping spirits and to mine. I call out to those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us in a legacy that is available here for the living to use, to meet the challenges of their own time. May we draw on the wisdom of those who have gone before us and to draw that through in a way that allows us to show up and to innovate in our own time and to do this in a way that is good for those who are coming. And let us reach through those human ancestors to all of those beings that were here on the planet long before there was ever a human and those who will be here long after. We call out to all of those even older and more ancient ancestors who are not in human form. And we ask them to be with us here today. We ask them to help us to tune in deeply to our own true nature and to understand the gift that we bring to the great web of life and to be able to make the sacrifices necessary to bring that gift in a big way so that all life, the whole fabric of life, can rejoice in that harmony of each part of the web doing what is their part to do. And so we call out to these ancestors to help us, the little brothers and sisters, to find our way find our way into the potential of who we are meant to be in this greater calling. And so as we call out to these ancestors and these helping spirits and feel them gathering around us, let us gather ourselves from wherever we might be into our own head and take a nice breath and draw us out from our head to our heart. Another breath to move our awareness from our heart down into our belly And the final breath to move us from our belly to touch the earth and to take a moment to give gratitude to the earth herself for this day, for your life, for all that has been in your life that has brought you to this moment, for all that is and all that will be. We give gratitude to the generosity of the earth's dreaming so that we can know that anything that needs to change can be changed as long as we are still breathing. So we call out to the earth to hear our gratitude in our heart as to begin to extend our energy down and down and down through all the layers of the earth to the very center of the earth and take a moment to anchor ourselves firmly there taking responsibility to ground ourselves to deepen our focus to connect with these energies that draw their strength from darkness from stillness from silence and as we reach into these energies, let, them draw, let us draw them up, 
all the way up through all the layers of the earth and into our bodies, drawing into ourselves the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. We call up the energy that restores, refreshes, replenishes, that nourishes, the energy that helps us to renew. Um, We reach deeply into the energy of the earth to learn from the earth how to be people who know where we stand, who know what we stand for, and to build our sense of hearth and home and belonging from these things that have true meaning, true purpose in our own hearts. And let us do this in a way that we challenge our hearts to open to the other, to open to those who think differently than we do and look differently than we do, and open our table to these who we would presume to be so different than we are. And we gather these energies in, knowing that it is only through opening to those who challenge us that we will become the men and women that we were meant to be. And so as we reach out We ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand how to be in right relationship with ourself, right relationship with others, right relationship with our ever-changing environment, and right relationship with the spirit world. And so as we reach out and come in to this understanding that we are part of a great oneness, a great web of life, let us draw that sense of right relationship from that place in that web. And begin to draw our energy up then from our belly to our heart to our mind up and out into the sky above, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, reach to the highest power of the universe and draw down into ourselves, into our day, into these proceedings, draw down that profound essence of blessing, the essence of protection, inspiration, illumination, and these energies that support us in seeing the way in challenging times, in being the light that inspires others to be better versions of themselves and to discovering the way through our own inner darkness. We call out to this energy to help us to be the men, the women, the people that we have come here to be as we draw this energy from above down, from our head to our heart to our belly and send it all the way down to the center of the earth, letting the earth and sky meet and merge within us. And may this energy that is this big love, that is the love of legends, may it awaken the spirit of our own hearts. And as our hearts awaken, let us call up that energy of transformation, that crucible of transformation that exists in the heart and draw up our own passion for our life, draw down the crystal clarity of learning through life, how to live in a good way. Bring these energies together in our heart and let them create through their dynamic tension a sense of why we are here, a sense of our gifts, a sense of what it is that we have come to bring to the world And may we reach into our hearts to find the courage to do something, large or small, to bring precisely those gifts into manifestation and to give them to the huge web of life around us. And for all the spirit help that we all have to do exactly that, we give great thanks. May what needs to be said be said and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. 
I want to give special thanks to those of you that donate to Why Shamanism Now, those who have set up uh, monthly donations, those who donate randomly and sporadically, large and small. We are grateful for all of it. I want to give thanks to Sarah and Mary, Louise, Anne, Madeline, Evie, Hannah, Catherine, Abby, Susan, Judy, and all the listeners who are able to donate financially. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, um, even if it moves you in problematic ways that make you think about things you don't want to think about, it means you have been moved in the heart. And we invite you to do that most fundamental of shamanic actions, which is to allow that which moves you in the heart to move you into action in the world. And do something to support the show. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com. Donate any amount, large or small, in any currency. We are deeply grateful for all of it. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air and the archives available, which are now over 400 hours of free podcasts to anybody who can access them via the internet anywhere in the world. And so we're enormously grateful for you listeners allowing this to be listener-supported podcasting. And for those of you that support the show in other ways, we are grateful for that as well. Just because you do not have the ability to donate financially does not mean you are without power to make change in the world. And I invite you to do one of the many things that helps the show to grow um, and to spread through your work, through your own communication with others, and through your own informed action in the world. So thank you all. So I want to give thanks to our guest, Ana Laramendi, who's joined us today to talk about wildfires, climate change, and shamanism. Thank you, Ana. So Ana has spent her life weaving together her spirituality with nature skills to create a skill set of tools for land healing and teaching students to detect and heal earth trauma of Spanish and Basque ancestry and born in Spain on his full-time shamanic teacher and healer at the hollow bone, a private practice in Madison, Wisconsin. She offers a full range of shamanic healing forms, space clearing and various land healing practices and offers with that a range of shamanic coursework of unique and very, um, very timely is Anna's apprenticeship work, which she calls the earth tenders, which is a more, advanced um which is for more advanced practitioners anna has been studying shamanic traditions since 1989 and is an international teacher of shamanic healing practices um, she is a minister public speaker, vision quest leader wilderness enthusiast ceremonialist chef translator and an initiated mesa carrier in the inca tradition anna has studied extensively with teachers of many shamanic traditions around the world as well as tom brown jr of the tracker school and has learned tracking survival and wilderness awareness skills and you can reach anna through her website at www.thehollowbone.com um So we are live today, and if you have any questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938, or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. And as usual, if you have a question, you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. All right. So, Anna, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. 
And so before we dive into today's topic, um, let's imagine there might be listeners that haven't heard the other shows um, in which you're our featured guest, and just give people a basic grounding in who you are as a teacher and the focus of your work, just to give them a sense of, you know, where the message is coming from that we're going to talk about today. Okay. Well, um, you know, I studied, I started studying, um, taking my first shamanic workshops after a vision quest that I went on in 1989, which I'd always been um, very connected to nature. Um, Like many of us who become practitioners eventually, um, most really good shamanic practitioners I know um, are people who've gone through a lot of trauma in their lives. And for myself, that is true as well. As a child, my childhood was not a very safe place. And so I went out into nature to feel safe because my home wasn't safe. And I feel like that really started a foundation of communicating with even on an unconscious level and being with the nature spirits and feeling like nature was home. And that really came full circle when I went on my first vision quest because I Here I was um, alone um, in the desert without a tent, um, fasting for three days. At first I was kind of terrified because as much as I like being in nature, I'd never been that raw out in nature before. And yet I found that I felt completely safe. And at the end of that quest, my whole relationship with nature went to a whole other level. And it really was a turning point in my life where my passion and love for the natural world really um, engulfed me, in a sense. Um, And it was after that that my therapist actually recommended that I first take some shamanic workshops because she said my experience was very shamanic. I didn't realize that at the time. Uh, But when I started taking shamanic workshops, I realized that this spiritual practice, which is really based in animism, which is that understanding that all living things, all nature is consciousness, was so much in relation to the experience that I'd had that it would seem like a natural flow for me in pursuing a spiritual practice. And so for many years, like many of of us in North America and Western cultures, I just took a lot of shamanic workshops, but my real medicine came from being out in nature. And I continued to Um, be in nature as a resource to deal with the trauma I'd gone through, um, periods of depression that I went through. Nature was always my healer and and the one I had this profound relationship with to the point that actually a number of years after my first vision quest, like four years after my first vision quest, I, I returned to assist my teacher who was a guide, vision quest guide, And I decided that I wanted to marry the wilderness and make this vow to nature that I would be in service. And and I realized that that was in many ways my initiation. It was my calling on the spirits to that I was really serious. Um, It also was the start of some very big, traumatic, challenging events that happened in my life, which I realized was part of my initiation. Um. And eventually, through a number of different events, I went from being 
a chef who owned a restaurant and catering business to walking away from all of that and becoming really serious about doing this work. Um, and the work always revolved around nature because that was, that was my resource. Um, I always went to nature when I felt overwhelmed by something and I needed some guidance or a vision. And so as I stepped away from the food service business that I had been in for 20 years, I felt like I needed to get deeper into this understanding of this spiritual realm. And my guides started giving me instructions of teachers I need to study with. You know, I was... My guides actually told me that I should start taking classes with Tom Brown because there was information that he would share that would be very helpful for me as a teacher to show other people. And so much of who I studied with from the time I left the food service business onward was really spirit-guided. And... Okay. So um, we just lost Anna's connection. Um, so <laughs> I'm sorry about that, everybody. Um, while we have this moment, though, as we get her back on the line, I just want to point out that we have uh, two really wonderful shows with Anna. One is Anna t- talking about her work, um, working with. Uh, earth and her earth tenders program the other is um uh, there's a series in the archives about working with different helping spirits and anna comes in to talk about what it really means with land spirits and how land spirits are everything from the tiniest little pixie in your garden to these unbelievably uh, hi, Anna. Are these hi. unbelievably great big uh, mountain spirits that, that she encountered through ritual in the Andes? And so I encourage you all to dive into the archives to search for Anna, for Laura Mendy, Anna Laura Mendy in the guests list and listen to these other shows as well. And um, anyway, okay. So back to Anna, to your story. You were leaving the restaurant business. Yes. Yes. Um, so, um, so I started as I started uh, doing more studies shamanically and choosing to study with, for example, Tom Brown, who really one of the gifts that he provided was he he taught his students about how to live comfortably in nature. I mean, people think of survivalists as sort of this hardcore, you know, machine gun carrying survival. Rambo-type energy going through the forest. That was the farthest thing on earth that he was teaching. It was really about how to live in nature like it's your home and you feel completely at peace. And many of the exercises that he had us do, I realized were key for, for taking people out of the you know modern society and teaching them how to start feeling more and more at home in the natural world. And I felt that way naturally already, but I needed tools for how am I going to bring other people into this realm that I experience in a way that feels comfortable and safe and uplifting for them. 
And so his teachings played a really important role in me starting to develop classes that were really geared towards connecting to nature and hearing and feeling and experiencing nature on a spiritual level. And so that, I realized, became sort of my calling card. My passion was nature already, and I really wanted people to develop a relationship with the earth because we as a culture, Western culture, is so completely separated from nature. And really, because we're so separated from nature, we do the things to the natural environment that we have been doing that are creating the the climate change that's happening now. And I believe truly if we were all more connected with nature, the choices we would make of how we would navigate in the world would be very, very different. And and so I feel like we're at a point right now where the need to reconnect with the natural world, to change our relationship of how we relate to nature, to reclaim that understanding that we are all we are all equal, you know, from an animistic point view, we are all equal with all the creatures that live here. We are not um, the top of the pyramid. We can't keep on looking at, at the earth that way, that we can just take whatever we want for whatever we need whenever we want it. Indigenous cultures always had to give away. They didn't take anything without giving something back, without giving prayers and thanks and gratitude and we've lost that sense of being grateful and expressing what a miracle it is to be alive and to be surrounded by all these different beings. And I feel that a return to that is part of what we need in order to start steering ourselves away from this really reckless amount of taking and plundering, really, of, of the Earth's resources. I don't think that we can change the tipping point that we've passed. However, I do think that we can slow down what the changes that are happening as we change ourselves and become more back into relationship with a natural environment. And so, so that feels like a very oh, strong message to me right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and this is a piece I think that is unique about the work that you're uh, offering for people that would, you know, reach you at the hollow bone and do your classes is this is this, this deep understanding of the, where we really are at this time and how that informs your work versus a somewhat more, I would consider naive that, you know, if we all just learn how to journey and have good relationship with our helping spirits without ever changing our relationship with nature, somehow it's all going to magically be fine. (laughs) Right. um, Well, and you know, this is also about the importance of personal healing. Um, You know, personal healing is, is part of the pathway to reclaiming our relationship with the natural world. You know, we, we see things through the filter of our wounds, and we react to the world through the filters of our wounds. You know, part of the reason I contacted you was um, a series of events happened to me. Um, oh, goodness, it was just last week, actually. Um, so people who kind of scope the Internet and find me see that I teach these classes related to earth healing and stuff. and. And I had gotten a number of emails from people I did not know at all who were begging and pleading with me 
to do things to stop the fires out west and to pray for rain. And, and you know, I could tell that they're coming from this, this place of fear, this, um, this very automatic, the solution to this problem is just like bring rain, stop the fires, it's as simple as that. And, you know, that's the thinking that we have when we've lost our connection with the earth. And, and so I was being really, I felt this, this pressure from these people, like, seeking me out, out of the blue, to do something. And, you know, and every year at this time, we've been having fire season, and it's been getting worse and worse. And so I felt like I needed to really talk to the spirits about this and, and ask them, you know, please show me what is going on. Please give me the big picture of what is going on. And and so I did this journey. It would have been actually over just over a week ago today. I'm going to read to you the information that I got from the spirits. Um, the message I got is, the elementals in conjunction with Gaia and the allowance of nature spirits are clearing and resetting the landscape. The weather systems and patterns of the region have permanently shifted, leading to their being consistently hotter, drier, longer summers, more drought, coupled with more extreme rainfall in alternate seasons. The flora and fauna of these regions are not biologically equipped to survive this new norm of weather patterns and seasons. Rather than allowing a slow and painful extinction of certain species, the fire and other elementals have agreed with the nature spirits to engage in a giveaway to clear these areas so Gaia can reseed these regions with life forms better adapted to live comfortably with the new weather and seasonal patterns. Over the coming decades, much of the West will experience these large fires as the elementals and nature spirits prepare and seed the landscape for different life forms that are better adapted to all the macro and micro climate changes that are dramatically different than what has existed there for the last few thousand years. Gaia is always creating life. In places where there is a void of life, be it human-made or by other types of destruction, she, Gaia, creates what is needed to grow and thrive in a changed habitat. She holds the blueprints of all life, be it a species of the past, present, or future. Epigenetic blueprints are manipulated by the elementals to create new species to populate the terrestrial level so a destroyed place may repopulate and thrive. This not only applies to where we are seeing fires, but conversely to places flooded, algae blooms, and all the other instances of environmental destruction and degradation. So that was the message that I got, and I, I felt like this was a really important message to to pass on. Um, you know, I got up in the morning and went down to my computer. I had a long list of things to do, and I just ignored my whole list of work that I had to do and just wrote an article, actually, which has been published in the Journal of Shamanic Practice, and um, and wrote about how we needed to really look at this as a reset. You know, we can be nostalgic and cling to the, the horror of species becoming extinct. But we tend to think of extinction as like a flat-out, like barren land that nothing is living. And really what extinction is, is a changing over 
from species that are no longer viable into new species being created and forming that can live in a different environment with different weather patterns and levels of moisture in the air and, and soil. And so this is a big reset. This is, this is the changing times that we're in. And, and this is the reality of what we have come to. And there is a certain amount of surrender and grace that needs to happen as well as knowing how to wisely, where do we wisely execute or put our energies into this changing time? If we're in a wounded state and all we want to do is stop something from happening, it's, a, it's actually just an extension of denial. It's an extension of our own wounds, of our shame, of our unwillingness to look at what is. And I'm kind of tired of the denial that our human culture has has become so much a part of we we can't keep on pretending that these real things aren't happening but we can choose to take action in ways that slows or changes the direction in a way that the worst doesn't happen and also what is very clear to me is that Gaia is creating new life forms um, I learned a lot of this through actually Marko Pogacnik, who's a Slovenian teacher. He's taught, written many books. One of them is called Healing the Heart of the Earth, and another one is Nature, Spirits, and Elemental Beings, where he talks about this a lot. And, um, and I, I actually sponsored him here in the United States a couple of times. He's a really brilliant teacher. And he talked about examples like... Um, how the nature spirits work together in clearing places. It's not like the tornado comes through and takes down trees and, and somebody may say, but what about the poor trees? And, and Marco would answer, but what if the trees had spoken to the spirits of the wind and had agreed that their time to go had come? And I see that also because I see this as part of what's happening with the fires. We're horrified at the destruction of the fires, but what if those trees are stressed and suffering from year after year of progressive and progressive worth drought that is not going to change. They're dying a slow death. Maybe they are in agreement with the fire spirits and saying, take me now so I no longer have to suffer, so that new life can come in my place, that my ashes are the food for new beings that will come that are better equipped to live in this more arid environment. And, and Anna, that, let, let me jump in here for just a minute, okay, because sure. just in case people are starting to think this is like way too woo-woo, this is just crazy Anna and her, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk some hard science, people. Okay. okay, right now, like not even now, 10 years ago, yeah. there was already really good, solid science being done then, so much more yeah. being done now, about the fact that nature is communicating this way. This is not just shamanic journey stuff. It is that. Right. But the science right. is already being done. There is a beautiful video with Paul Stamets talking about science that shows that the trees, like so for right now in our region, the Douglas firs 
are stressed. Mm -hmm. They're giving up their nutrients into the um, mycelial layer of the mushrooms and the mushrooms shift the nutrients over and toss them to the pine trees because the pine trees are going to be able to tolerate this new drier climate better than the Douglas firs. This is science, people. This is not shamanic journeying, which... Is also valid, but my point is it's easy for people to start to dismiss this because we're talking in the metaphor of shamanic journey and elemental spirits and yada, yada, yada. Point two, this is back in 2004. This is over 10 years ago. You have Almo Farina in the University of Urbino in Italy performing research on ecofields in landscape ecology. And what he showed is that in local groups, so this is what we're talking about, is groups of plants in a landscape, Mm -hmm. in a geography, being affected by the weather patterns that tend to be in that arena, communicating Mm -hmm. with each other in fields that overlap and that Mm -hmm. they are in constant informational exchange, not just plants to plants, but all the species and they're able to show that through these fields, um, these what they call eco-fields, that messages are being passed back and forth, not only between creatures within a species, but interspecies communication. Exactly. Which is another way of saying the earth is a wise being. And that these yes. are simply manifestations, just like the way the microbes on my skin know how to communicate with the environment and keep me from getting a bunch of icky diseases on my skin, that's this little micro community on the field of the forearm, right? It's the same thing as the Pacific Northwest is a a micro community from the Earth's perspective on that section of the planet. And so this science is being done right now from people that are in the fields that you all went to when you went to university and are really challenging the perceived limitations that were brought into those fields 50, 40, 30 years ago and saying, you know, people, it's not good science anymore. This really is happening. And if we were smart, we would participate. And this is what Anna's talking about is how do we participate? Because you said surrender and grace and knowing how to wisely put our energies into this. Okay, knowing how to wisely do something, people. Okay, that's a big challenge. Okay, read, you need a new skill set. Yeah. Because if we keep doing what we are doing, we'll keep manifesting what we're manifesting. And, and the one thing Anna gracefully has not yet said yet, which she does say right up front in her article, is the situation we are dealing with right now is our creation. Our actions have created this. Now, other things as well. But if our actions don't change and transform into these wiser guided actions that can participate, you know, we are both the problem and the solution right now. And we need to make a choice. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So you were talking about that very thing, which is how do we begin to take some responsibility for our actions and recognize it's not just about not contributing. It's about how do we actively engage in this transformation and accept this, this transformation is happening Yeah. and participate. 
You know, yeah. there's a, there's three things that you bring up in your article, though, that we might want to circle back and remind people of, okay. which one is, well, the three things are remind people about this anthropocentric view that we can slip into, <laughs> right, number one, and yes. that the spirit world is an amoral world, number two, mm-hmm. and then also how that brings us to this place of approaching this work from a place of compassionate neutrality. So why don't you start with, with by the way, people, anthropocentric. <laughs> so anthropocentric is, is basically, um, and, and Western culture is totally about this. It's the belief that humans are the center of the universe. And we, because we're at that top of the pyramid, we make the choices about everything else. And anything that happens, it's like Gaia is mad at us. The earth is mad at us. You know, that's that from the Earth's perspective, there are billions and billions of different types of life forms living on this planet. And we're just one of them. We are just one of them because we're able to create and manipulate and do things because of our intellect, our hands, the way our brains are made. We have a disproportionate impact on the planet, but we're really just percentage wise. We're actually a very small percentage if you take individual um, individual beings living on the earth. You know, if you compare us to insects, you know, insects have a much larger biomass on the earth than humans do. Um, but it's that anthropocentric way of thinking that is part of what's gotten us into this trouble because we don't think in the big picture of how our actions affect all things, not just other humans, but all living beings, all aspects of the earth plane. And and shamanism is essentially an animistic um, spiritual practice, one that believes that all living things have consciousness. And an anthropocentric viewpoint tends to be that only humans have consciousness. You know, it's again thinking we're the we're the top, we're the best, we're number one. That kind of thinking gets us into a lot of trouble. It's a lot of ego too. And and that way of thinking is part of how where we need to shift away from is really looking at the picture as we are in a circle that all that if we're holding hands with all the different beings we're this big giant circle of life not that there's all these things in different tiers below us and we're at the pinnacle and we're at the top of the mountain and and so moving into a a perspective that really takes into consideration all life, it changes, if we're really operating from that perspective, how we make our choices about what we do. Um, And the nature spirits, it's important to remember, the nature spirits are simply living out what they are meant to do as part of their life form or their essence. So an oak tree, an acorn has this sort of programming of how it's going to grow to be a bur oak or a white oak. And it doesn't have a judgment about anything else. It's just living out its life as it's needing to be, as it is. Um, Fire and the elements, you know, fire, water, air, earth, all of these energies are energies that have, they're, they're, they're not... Amoral means having no morals. There's no view of the world of right or wrong, good or bad. It's just 
an energy that does what it needs to do as part of its living process. And so we tend to ascribe human emotions and human feelings, which is part of our anthropocentric kind of way of being, onto these other energies. And in reality, they're just living out and creating their jobs really are about how to balance a landscape. Nature is always working towards what harmonizes the most in an area. And so when humans create a disruption, nature will tend to fill in and try and balance out where there's disruption. So a lot of what we see happening as far as this feedback loop of fires or floods, et cetera, is is kind of a reset of balancing something that's out of balance. It's not a judgment day. It's not um, a punishment. But it's, it is, in a sense, kind of the, um, the consequence of our actions. And so we've created this. We, we are, we, there's plenty of science now, as you point out, that's validating that humans are the ones who have created the situation that we're in right now. And scientists by nature tend to be rather conservative about putting new ideas out there. Part of it is because of peer review, and um, peer review can be quite critical at times. So scientists don't like to be the chicken little screaming that the world is, is falling, the world is falling apart. Um, they tend to put out much more conservative prognostications of what's going to happen because they don't want to get trashed by their peers. And what's been happening is that those conservative views so far as far as climate change have consistently proven to be way too conservative and that things that are happening are happening at a much faster rate in a much more extreme way than scientists were originally saying. Not that some of them probably thought that it was going to be worse, but they felt compelled to not put out the worst scenario. So we're in this situation that that things are, are ramping up and escalating because of the degree of imbalance. And again, what's ramping up and escalating is that nature is making corrective measures because she's always about balance. She's always about harmonizing. And harmonizing is not singling out humans to be punished, but because we have such a huge imprint on the landscape and because we have embedded ourselves in the landscape in an out-of-balance way, we, of course, live in the imbalance. And so when an imbalance is being corrected, we're right in the middle of what's getting corrected. And that's part of not a punishment, not a judgment, but um, the result of, of how we've worked with the earth. In Tibetan cultures, and, and they and other, actually quite a number of different indigenous cultures, there would be special offerings to if a if a person wanted to build a home or build some sort of a structure, there would be special offerings made to the land and prayers to the land and divinations done about where the nature spirits would allow the human to build their home or their hut or their building. And it wasn't until the spirits had been fed and made offerings to and that they had gotten the permission that they would then begin the construction and the excavation because there's this understanding that there's a huge displacement of the spirits 
by digging a foundation for a home or doing those sorts of earthworks that are necessary for building human structures. And so we've lost that sense of getting permission from the spirits, asking them, you know, can I place this building here? And if I do place this building here, in which way do we want it to face? What would please you? Is there some, are there offerings I can make for you? This relationship that, that we never took anything for granted and, and we consulted with the nature beings in anything that would be disruptive to the natural world was, a, was an old part of indigenous cultures that knew that the earth was a living being, that there's all these nature spirits that need to be appeased and spoken to and, and worked with in order to build a harmonious home. And the belief was that if you didn't appease the spirits prior to your construction, that they may wreak havoc on you and punish you and again, this is getting back into adding a moral um, consciousness rather than amoral awareness about nature spirits. But the belief was that that if you came in in a disrupt, disruptive way, that the nature spirits would um, would do something that would make this home that you built without permission be a difficult place for you in some way or form. And of course, it comes really back down to what if you put created something out of balance, then a balancing is going to happen. Whereas if you create something in balance, then it's harmonious from the get-go and that environment supports you rather than challenges you. I always find it funny how people think this is so hard to understand because they can't put themselves in the shoes of the fire spirit or the land spirit. But I know for myself... When things get in the way of me doing my function, when I am clear what my function is, I get very frustrated and very hard to deal with. <laughs> and so I understand it completely. <laughs> well, and it's part of our challenge. And I mean, and that's why I keep on going back to the personal healing piece. You know, there is, um, in order to move into a space of, and now we're going to be talking about compassionate neutrality. What is compassionate neutrality? I call it, there's a lot of different terms I use I tweak the term a little bit to try and get people to understand it a little bit more. Sometimes I call it angelic viewing. So if we can look upon something from a place of an open heart, like the, like the ascended masters or spirits would look upon something, not with a rush to fix it, not in judgment, not in this is right or wrong or good or bad, but look upon it as a loving, compassionate spirit that is neutral and just being a witness to what is happening. That's what compassionate neutrality is. And it takes a certain degree of personal healing to be able to hold the energy of compassionate neutrality. It's actually something I have my students journey to and work with looking upon tragic tragedies or tragic events from the viewpoint of the angelic beings. And how do you hold that space compassionately when you're seeing something that's creating a lot of chaos and suffering and not rush to rescue, not rush to fix, but just sit in a place of knowing and love and, um, and kindness. And we want to rush in and fix things before we even take the time to step back and look with that compassion neutrality about what is really happening here. What, is this serving some greater purpose that I can't see from my little egocentric viewpoint over here in the corner? 
is this something bigger that I need to work with allowing it to some degree? You know, I do believe that we can work with the spirits to make the extremes more navigable. But if the ultimate direction that something is going is that a land is going to reset, you know, do we have the right to just step in and, and like a petulant child, stomp our feet and say, no, you can't do this? You know, we can't. We can't. Well, we, can we don't have the, the ability spirits. either. We don't have the ability. Mother Nature is far more powerful than us. Right. But we can be in relationship with the spirits. We can we can pray and and bring light and love to these places that have been burned to the ground to to, to ash and bring tra- energy of light and transmutation that new plants, new energies can grow there that are going to be healthy and happy in this reset landscape. So I want to talk a little bit about what we can do here in mm -hmm. in this last chunk of the show, because I also want to acknowledge, you know, our property was in the path of the gorge fire last summer for about 48 hours. And it is really hard to stand in compassionate neutrality when your property is in the path of the fire. And my little brother who lives in Northern California was, uh, he and his, Uh, source of income, his business, were in the path of the fires last summer and and new fires burning what didn't burn last year, this year, and has already had an evacuation notice once. So I want to speak from that place of how hard it is to be in that path of the sacrifice in the reset and and acknowledge that um, the devastation through fire is absolute. And, and, and that it's, um, in many ways, what Anna was just talking about is how do we assist from afar versus what are we doing when we're in, in the middle of it. And yet, at the same time, I want to read Anna's questions from her article because the questions don't change. It's just where you and your family are when you're making it may change. But, um, you know, the question is really to look at this is, is, how is this a balancing of what is out of balance? Um, how are the nature spirits engaged in this process? I mean, if you can know that, you start to get a sense of what is going on here and how, and I am part of it. So how do I better participate consciously as part of that? Um, when we have the luxury then to ask, what is the big picture? What is the greater message of these events? How do I participate on this larger scale? And how is Gaia, the consciousness of the earth, involved here? And begin to cultivate an intimacy, a lit- a, an actual intimacy with Gaia, not an experience of, oh, I'm so empathic. I feel all the earth's pain, so I can't get out of bed and do anything today. You know, <laughs> you know that's me for laughing talking. heartily, but I, you know, I, I get tired of that. I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to sound judgmental, although I know I'm being judgmental, but you know, um, you know, one learning to manage your energies if you're an empath is a very important thing right now. And I believe a lot of people that are being born right now are empaths and are feeling this enormously. And we need to learn how to, to contain our energy bubbles so we don't, take on all of this suffering we cannot be of service if we are completely sponging in all of this trauma that's going on i mean the trauma is real the trauma is very very real but we can't function if we don't know how to manage our own energies 
And and as I said, if you're an empath and you're feeling that, um, it's real. But um, I also feel that part of of the the lesson and the growth as a human is to learn how to manage it so that you can still be effective and and feel that or that you can mitigate how much you're feeling it so it doesn't blow you out. Um, we can't be in compassion for these things if we take in so much of the poison of the trauma that it it literally makes us incapable of functioning. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so back to the question. So how, how do we ask these questions? And part of that is how, what amount of healing do we need to do and what amount of energy body hygiene do we need to do every single day to be able to live in this space and ask these kinds of questions about the world, but also what's happening, you know, literally potentially at our own home. And, you know, because the final question is really important. Do I have the permission from the spirits of the land to intervene? And that is that place that is so challenging for us as humans to recognize is we need to ask permission to do this work. Exactly. Exactly. So with that said, let's let's look at, okay, so what can people actually do? I mean, in some ways we've been talking about obliquely what people shouldn't do, right? So what can right. especially people with different skill levels? So yes. what if someone is listening because they're in California with the fires and that's how they Googled and got to this show, but they don't have any shamanic skills. Yes. What could they do? Like right now to begin to participate differently in being part of part of the evolution, the part of part of the rebalancing and the resetting. I would say the first most important thing is um, certainly I would say the most important thing should you be a person who lives in an area that is fire prone and the West is going to be suffering of this a lot for a while until there's a, a, a certain degree of resetting. Um, the first thing, the most important thing, is build a relationship with the, the land of the place you live. And that can be as simple as sitting at the base of a tree on your property and closing your eyes and feeling like your spine sort of, feeling like yourself almost merging with that tree and asking to just feel the experience of that tree, getting to know that tree. This is about relationship building. And relationship building with nature is really, really the first step to even protecting your land, actually. Um, You know, the nature spirits, if, if they feel the essence of your love, if you open your heart up to them and just expand your love to to a tree a bush just the dirt below putting your hands on the ground just sitting there quietly with your eyes closed for 20 minutes just in silence and just giving thanks you are starting to build relationship with the land you know one of the things i teach in my nature classes is that i have people pick a sit spot in nature that they go to over and over again what they will find is that the animals and creatures that live around that area where you sit by have chosen get to know you as they get to see you as, as one of them, that you sit quietly and peacefully and respectfully there. You'll find that the different nature spirits 
different animals and beings will start approaching you or get close to you or not be alarmed when you're around. You know, this is building that, that relationship of trust, of reciprocity. A lot of times in many traditions, there is the feeding of the spirit. So there are, are spirit plates that are put out that may have some nuts and some dried fruit or something to feed the spirits that one would put out. In, in some cultures, the belief is you don't start your meal. When the, when the meal is served at the family, you don't start your meal until a little special plate, a little bit of everything has been put on a plate from on the dinner table for the ancestors, and it's put outside for the ancestors to eat. And so feeding the spirits of nature by giving offerings is part of this relationship building. It's, it's the Aini. It's the reciprocity. And I find that the people that have these kind of relationships with their places, the places in turn, the spirits of the place have, build a sort of, there's some sort of desire to be in protection of that space. Some of the most amazing miracles that I see happen of protection often, most often happen when the person already had an established relationship with the landscape of their home, not just inside their home, but the land that their home is on. And and speaking to the land and, and speaking to it like um, like a beloved child or grandchild or um, or with awe and respect of a powerful, strong tree, or compassion. And this kind of relationship building is really essential. First, it changes our way of looking at the natural world by allowing us to just feel it and be in it. And nature is a very calming effect on us if we really surrender to it and allow ourselves to be in it. And this relationship building is, is the cornerstone of changing how the nature spirits are going to relate to you in a landscape. Um, there are always pockets of things where the fire escaped or something miraculously wasn't burned. You know, how did that happen? You know, there, there's that, and I'm not saying to, to blindly believe that this alone is going to protect you from that, but it can change your ability to, if you're praying for protection, your prayer is going to be far better heard if you have a relationship with those that you need to protect you, which is really the land. Mm-hmm. So, um, Anna, um, mm-hmm. for people that have skills, do you, how do you feel as a basis of learning for people uh, to reach out to the Shamanism Without Borders book? published by the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. Mm-hmm. Does that give people a good foundation for... I think that that gives people a good foundation. One of the things that I have been finding in the work that I've done in my own, the apprenticeship that I teach, is that for more experienced practitioners, who've, and you have to have done a certain amount of personal healing work before you can do some of these practices, but constellation work I'm finding is amazingly powerful. Mm-hmm. And con- we think of constellation work, for those of you in psychology as family constellation work where you may have different members, different people enact different members or role play different members of a family as a way of witnessing and moving an unhealthy dynamic in a family system. Well, this interestingly can also apply to working with um, a situation where there is an out-of-control fire, that you can have shamanic, different shamanic practitioners come together and do a ceremony together and each 
person chooses to represent something that's at play in that location. So someone would represent the fire. Someone would represent the, the spirit of the land. Someone would re- represent water because there's an absence of water there. So what is, what's, the, what's, water going, what's going on with water during this time? Um, and, and so each person picks a different aspect of what is impacting that area. And then with drumming and dancing, each person then merges with the energy of that and begins to play out in a dance form what is happening. And what becomes very interesting is with dancing each of those different roles, fire, the spirit of the land, the water that's staying in the edge of the space and not coming in, um, eventually something sort of shifts and the dance kind of tends to move into a a balanced or harmonious state. And afterwards, everyone, when that seems to come to a stop and the, the dance and the ceremony stops, then each person then shares what they were perceiving and experiencing as being the fire or as being water or as being land. Um, and what we find in those ceremonies is that by merging with those spirits of that place, we get an intimate and deep understanding of what's really going on or what's really lacking, what is really needed, and, and how are the spirits perceiving all of this. Sometimes very interesting changes happen after these ceremonies. Sometimes changes don't happen, but we understand the why of it on a much, much deeper level, which allows us to, with grace, tolerate or accept or be in, in surrender somewhat to what is going on. But I find that if it's very easy to get emotion to start emotionally projecting what fire should think or feel or what water should think or feel, which is why you need practitioners who've done enough personal work that they truly can step out of the way and allow the spirit of these energies to dance them and to move them rather than what they think those spirits would want or be thinking or feeling. So, Anna, we're just about out of time. So let me just say okay. to people that are regular Washamanism Now listeners, what Anna's just described is another manifestation of the Conjure Dance, for those of you to rewarding those of you mm-hmm. who listen regularly. I would also like to say for those of you that really feel called to this work um, and have shamanic skills, I think you should go study with Anna. And, and gain the capacity to work at this level that she's talking about. It's another manifestation of this whole movement I've been talking about this year, which is how do we move into being the practitioners of our time who can do this deep water work. This is deep work that, as Anna said several times in the show, requires your own healing is not happening, but largely a lot of it has happened. Not that things won't come up, but this is not shamanism for your own personal healing. Yes. This is shamanism for to service. Partic- service to the whole web of life. And so I yes. encourage you to, you know, look at her website, um, The Hollow Bone, and to consider moving into this particular practice. And for those of you that want to read the whole article that Anna wrote, you can go to the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. It's shamansociety.org and that article there as well. So, Anna, yes, thank you so thanks. much for your work, and thank you for thank being you with so us here much. today. Yeah. It's been a pleasure to be here with everyone. And just a short note, my website is per- currently under uh, construction, so if it's 
a little fighting these days. Um, just wait, it's going to be um, updated shortly. <laughs> oh, oh, the technology. Anyway, yes. <laughs> all right. Anna, blessings to you, and thank you so thank much for you. being with us here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here with you. Thank you so much, Christina. Yeah. So we give gratitude to the earth below, the sky above, all the helping spirits that have gathered around us here today, and the heart that connects us all. Thank you, everyone. Um, Please take these things in deeply and let them inform your week.